Now, we started last week a new series. And every once in a while, sometimes we'll just chew on a topic. And every once in a while, I, it's on my heart and we want to crack open one of the books of the Bible and we want to just really chew on it. We want to start chapter 1, finish it all the way to the end, see what, the, what God is trying to say through that. Because you have to remember, a lot of these, like we're talking about today, this is, this is a letter now, when Paul wrote it, he wasn't numbering all his, little, all his little sentences. And he wasn't saying, okay, now in chapter 1, this is what this is about. In chapter 2, I'm going to talk to you. No, he wrote a letter. It is one continue. You pull all those out, pull all the little numbers out, and just read it. And, and just allow it to flow. And you really get the picture of what it's about. And if you, we look at the book of Galatians, which is what we're doing now, then you'll find that the whole reason... Paul picked up his quill, grabbed some parchment, and started writing to this region. It's because it was a big deal on his heart that these people had drifted away from what they had started with. They came to Christ and understood the freedom that there was. And at some point, they had drifted away from freedom in Christ and got their eyes and their, and their daily religious activity wound up in something that wasn't just relationship and freedom, okay? So I don't care if you just became a Christian last week when we, when we had the, the moment at the end of the service, we're going to have another one, or if you came a Christian last decade or multiple decades ago, this letter is just because we can all kind of sit there and drift away from that beginning. So that's what this is about. Last week, we, we looked at the fact that works doesn't work. God did not recruit us so we can do all the little details he wants done. That's not what becoming a Christian isn't. You know, we understand I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. If you did children's church back when I did as a kid, you know, and there is this truth to it. God wants to use us, but God's not out recruiting to build this army of people to just obey his little commands and stuff. God is building a family. It's about relationship. It's about us knowing him and him knowing us. And that when you start getting into, well, I'm going to obey these rules and I'm going to pull these little religious strings and then God's going to smile on me and, and be happy with me. No, 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 that's not what it's about. And we talked about that last week. Well, now we're going to talk this week about the people trap because that's one of the toughest things about being a believer, about being a Christian, because you are instantly adopted into a community of hundreds of millions of brothers and sisters. All of a sudden, you are brought in and God engrafts us into this thing called the body of Christ. And it is you and I. It's, it's the other believers. And we're to integrate with other people. God built us for relationship. He wound us for that. But you know what I've heard a number of people say, and I felt it myself, you know, this whole being a Christian thing would be wonderful if I didn't have to deal with Christians. You know, Christianity would be so much better if I didn't have to deal with Christian people. Why? Because we're imperfect. And we, we drive each other up the wall sometimes. And we get under each other's nerves in those places that aren't moved into being as Christ-like as they should be. Man, they they. Ah, they can just bother us. And so what? how do we deal with this? We, we have to deal with people. People drive us crazy. So what do we do? People can get in and begin to disrupt this original thing that we were brought into as believers. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Now, this is a concept. We always have a launching concept for the, for the series. And, and this is what I really want us to, be, to walk away with. That in Christ, we're free. 
And we're free to live as children of God and not as people trying to earn forgiveness. But if we don't know that we're free, we will not live free. And see, God created us to live in relationship with others. We we simply must learn to keep those relationships operating in a life-giving way. See, one of the ways that God works in our lives is through others. I tell you what, I would be nowhere in my relationship with God had it not been because of the relationships God put me in and the discipleship process. And I'm telling you, most of it was done by me being raw and honest with my peers. Two of them are sitting here, Kelly Dunn and Brandon Moore. I'm telling you, when I got serious with God, God put those people in my life way back in 1992, 93. And we've been walking with God together and being an iron sharpening iron in each other's lives and, and being a building up thing all of these times. But in that, that, that life giving, there's also you're dealing with other people, people that love God, people that have a relationship with God, people that read the word and ought to really know things. And they're not always so life-giving. They can be some of the people that, that tear you down the most and can get you distracted. And so we're, we're going to look at some concepts on how to, how to deal with that. And the first one we want to see, we see this right here at the beginning of Galatians chapter 2, is that we have to avoid working to please people. Okay? Some of you people have no problem with that. You are these people, man, you, you don't give a rip. You don't give a rip who's mad at you. Who you got crossways. Some of you people, you, you just, it don't bother you at all. Other of you are like me. And I don't like relational friction. I don't like it. I mean, I'm telling you, my, Cutie and I, I mean, we're both, we deal with conflict way different. Man, she has to have a little bit of process time. If we get crossways with each other, I'm one of these. I want to deal with it now. I am looking for the I forgive you, Brandon. You're awesome. I love it. Everything's cool. I'm looking for that and like as fast as I can get it. And my wife is like, she needs some time to process. I'm still ticked at you. I don't forgive you. I probably will. I've done it lots of times. But don't force me into this. And so and I had to learn to give her a little bit of room. And she had to learn to walk a little faster than she had to. But that's... Some of you don't deal with this whole pleasing people thing um, like other of us do. But th- this, is, this has been an issue for me. I, a lot of times firstborns have a hard time with this. They, they quickly learn to want to please mom and dad. The other siblings look at older ones and go, wow, this is a lost cause. <laughs> um, I'm not going to do this. But the first one, we think it can be done. We think we can really keep mom and dad like totally happy and everything's cool. And the other, yeah, 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 big brother blew it. Yeah, I'm not doing this. And... Um, and so I'm a firstborn. I don't, I don't know what to blame it on. But that, that's in there. And I had to learn early on that I have to live to please only one person. And that's God. And that if, when, when it's all said and done, if I can get quiet and honest with God and not have any inner angst, not and have some peace with Him, even if somebody else is mad at me and doesn't understand what I've done and, and, it's, and it's in a twist over, over some decisions I've made, even if, I'm, even if I'm, that exists, if I can be honest with God and go, and you know, God is cool with me. I'm in obedience to Him. 
then I can let all that else slip by. And it took me a long time to get there. But we can't get all wrapped up in this place of trying to please people. We've all heard it said over and over again. You can't please everybody. And you can't. So trying to do it is like the, like the, the worst thing. It is total insanity. You can't make everybody happy. So what we can do is begin to act as godly as we possibly can. We can begin to please him. And sure, it's going to rub some people wrong. But ultimately, he's the one that we want to please and give accountability to. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2. See, <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2, we've, all, we've already covered Galatians 1. This is in the middle of the letter, so we're just kind of jumping in here. It says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas. Paul always ministered with other people. Paul was not this lone Lone Ranger, loose cannon guy. There was always this ministry team. This time he was ministering along with Barnabas. And I took Titus also. And I went in response to a revelation and, <clears throat> and set before them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. Here's the thing is he was doing something revolutionary. Every, before Paul came along, this idea that everybody, everybody on the planet could have a relationship with God through the Messiah was just unheard of. The Messiah was sent to the Jewish people. He wasn't sent to everybody in everybody's minds. And Paul got this understanding that no, it was in Christ that the entire world, everybody gets to come. And man, and he has to sit there and there's a lot of detractors. There's a lot of people that just don't buy into this fact. They don't buy into this truth. And so he had already ministered for 14 years and it had caused a lot of issues. And so he's now gone back to Jerusalem and he kind of lays out what he's teaching and his ministry before them. Not so that he can please people, but so that he can please God. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2 verse 6 and it says, And, and as for those who seem to be important, whatever, <clears throat> whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. Paul had this pressure constantly to begin to add all of these religious Jewish traditions to his message. And even though he was willing to take what he was preaching and submit it to the, to the apostles and submit it to those. He did not allow all of these other people to begin to have a voice. He did not try to please everybody. He was operating simply to please God. First Thessalonians 2 says, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anybody else. It's like we're not, we weren't even looking for your praise. We weren't even looking to try to make you happy. We're looking to simply try to please God. Now here's the problem when we come in. You become a believer. You make a decision, whether it's in your, your, your bedroom, alone with God. Maybe a friend shared the gospel, the truth of God's love with you. Maybe it happened in a, in a church service like this. But you have this moment where you place your faith in Jesus being all that you need 
for it to have a relationship with God. Him taking care of your sin, Him making you right before God. You come to that place and then you begin to connect with these other believers just like you're supposed to. You're not supposed to be a lone ranger. Even though Paul had this revolution, there was other people he's ministering alongside with. He was not a lone ranger. He's connected with other people just like we're supposed to. But then other people can begin to come in and say, oh, no, 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 you need to be doing this. I tell you what, as pastor of a church, I get people's opinions all the time. Oh, you ought to be doing, you ought to do this. Oh, no, 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 you're, you're kind of doing this wrong. You really ought to do this with your church. Oh, no, 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 you ought to do this. Oh, you know, oh, you don't, you, you're not casual enough. Oh, you're way too casual. Oh, you're all of this. Oh, you need, I have to sit there and stay focused on the assignment and the race God called me to do it. And understand that, you know what? Not everybody that walks in through these theater doors is going to fall in love with the way the Holy Spirit and God minister to people in this environment. Not everybody's going to love that. And I have to be cool with that. And that's why I am so excited that there are so many other churches in this community doing it a different way. They're hearing God. They're following God. The Holy Spirit is there. They're making disciples and they're doing it different. And guess what? Because they get to do it that way and people need that, then that means I can be and we can be who we're supposed to be. And that's okay. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Guess what? God only created one you. He only created one you. And you might as well be that. Everybody else is taken. You might as well be you. You might as well do that. God created you your way on purpose. Let him craft you into this. Guess what? As a parent, there are some parenting principles that, that follow. But guess what? As a parent, each kid's different. Each kid, and you know that you have to deal with one kid one way and another kid maybe a little different way. Why? Because they're wired different. Guess what? God does the same thing with us. He does the same thing. Something that he may not let you even think about. He may keep tight reins on you. It's totally fine for somebody else. Why? Because it doesn't violate overall principles. And it's cool. Other things you, you have some, some freedom in. And, or you, God keeps you tight. That's why we can't judge each other. That's why we have to love each other. That's why we have to be for each other. That's why we have to hold up the standard of let's just grow together. And let God do the, the rest of that work. It is so, so incredibly vital that we live that way. The next thing we have to understand is we can't, we have to avoid being distracted. Um, now, my, uh, uh, my son, my oldest son, my firstborn, and... Got his driver's license this week. Um, any of you parents who've crossed that threshold understand how jelly-kneed I am, um, how, you know, I'm trying, I don't operate in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He's been trained, all of that stuff. But there's, there's still this concern. And my biggest concern, my biggest concern is in the area of simple distraction. That forever... There was drunk driving and all that kind of stuff was like the number one cause of fatalities and all this stuff. We've heard it over and over and over again. Now, due to all these wonderful little gadgets we carry on ourselves, in our little pockets, and we're so connected, Facebooking and texting and, and all this kind of stuff, 
distracted driving is the number one cause of auto accidents. Totally sober, but just our mind is just somewhere else, doing something else. And so consequently, as my son has come to this place of driving and learning to, to handle the things behind the wheel, guess what we do? All of his rules are about limiting distraction. You know, I mean, whenever I got my license, you know, I couldn't wait to you know, crank up the speakers and have my whole set of tapes and CDs and, and change everything out. If it had been today, it had been the iPod and all that stuff. And, and guess what? He's got one station he can listen to on the radio. That's it. Air one. Don't you touch that dial. You can, don't you search for nothing else to listen to. No iPods. No, no nothing. Why? Because we can't afford distraction. We can't afford that thing. In our relationship with God, this, this thing of distraction. I'm telling you, most of us get off course. Not because... I think, I think the statistics are probably true. It's not because we're out being drunk and stupid. Well, I don't think most Christians get fall up of those kind of things. I think most Christian accidents, people moving forward with God and then get derailed and get into a spiritual mess, is simple distraction. Just a little bit of... Looking over here, a little bit over there, a little bit of mine not being on. Oh, yeah, I'm a child of God now. Oh, yeah, there's, there's some things I have to be doing now. Because I'm telling you, just simple distraction can rob us of our lives. There was a former president of the Soviet Union loved to tell a story of uh, well, a time when um, uh, the economy was really rough in the in the, Soviet nation and uh, theft was just off the charts and so they had to begin to put even in places of business the these uh, officers who guarded theft where there was one of them and he was there all the time worked in a factory and there was just there all the time got to know everybody on a first name basis all the factory workers and he noticed this one uh, <coughs> factory worker named Petrov is coming out the door and he's coming out the door and he's kind of got this suspicious looking load he's got this wheelbarrow and he's got this load of suspicious stuff and it's just piled high with with shavings and uh, sawdust just piled high with sawdust and so he's like uh, come on Petrov what are you trying you know I don't want born yesterday what's up with this deal here buddy um you know what's in your load what you what are you hiding under all this sawdust so he dumps out the sawdust everything guess what it's sawdust it's all sawdust and wood shavings. So he, you know, the guy cleans it back up. Petrov cleans it back up, takes his wheelbarrow. So next day, Petrov is, comes through another wheelbarrow load. And he, you know, challenges him, pokes around in there. It's all sawdust. Finally, after a week of this, it just drives the guard up the wall. And he's like, look, Petrov, I, I'm not even going to prosecute you. This is just driving me up the wall. What are you stealing? You're stealing something. What are you stealing? He says, um, I'm still in wheelbarrows. <laughs> Sometimes it's the obvious stuff we miss. 
You know, that's why you're like, Brandon, why do you make a big deal about this ticking off the Bible reading all the time? Of course, we know we're supposed to read our Bible as believers. Why do you make such a big deal about that? Because it's the obvious things we miss. It's that stuff that comes in and distracts and destroys and gets us off track in our growth. And then we'll, we'll do that with, our, with just our natural prayer life. We'll do that with other things. And other people can come in and distract us and get us off course. We have to make sure that we're not trying to please everybody. And then we can make sure that we hold to and don't get distracted from the things that God has called us individually to. There's a lot of wonderful things out there. There's so many good things that need to be done. I loved it that while we were gone, the only book Cutie and I both read cover to cover together. I read lots of books. We only read one together. It's a book called Simple Church. And it was simply about finding out what God has called you to do and don't get distracted by it, by anything else. You stay on, folks, to that. Just because somebody has a brilliant idea, you know, and that's what I had to, I had to be cool with. Maybe out there God begins to create this wonderful ministry in your heart and God's growing you up and you're ready to do something. And if it doesn't fit within what God has called us to do, I have to be cool with the fact that there may be another place in the body of Christ here in this town that you need to be. And even though as a pastor, I just want to hang on to you and love you and keep you. and Oh yeah, you can just do it right here. But if I get distracted, we're not going to complete our assignment that God has anointed us, has equipped us and called us to do. We have to stay and not get distracted. You are the same way. See, in Galatians 2.11, it says, When Peter came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Now we're going to read an Acts and then we're going to come back to Galatians 2 again. Here's what's going on in the, in the narrative of Luke in Acts. It says, And talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even visit with him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So here's Peter. Peter gets this understanding from God that even though their Jewish law says don't associate with Gentiles, God says, uh-huh, no, 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 no. Don't you dare do that to anybody. They're in Christ. You associate with them. You spend time with them. Now look why Paul yanks Peter's chain. Galatians 2.12 says, Before certain men came from James... Referring back to Peter, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and to separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. This is Peter. This is when Jesus looked at it and said, upon the declaration that you just made, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the one, Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. While Peter, this same Peter, gets his understanding from God on this one level and later gets distracted by people putting all their little rules and constraints on him and pulling back in. And Paul sweetly tells him, stop that mess. Rebuked him to his face and let him know. 
We cannot be doing that. We cannot be doing that. Let's stay with love. Let's stay with loving God and loving others. I'll tell you what, we just you can't go wrong with that. The next thing we have to avoid is avoid the bandwagon effect. Now, <clears throat> many of y'all know that when I came to ASU, I was a I was a, a government major. I have a degree in government. Actually, it's my bachelor's degree. And um, anyways, I just have always studied politics and like it. And don't worry, I won't go to talking politics. But uh, um, anyways, uh, Reagan, um, whenever he was governor, um, he, he would uh, had this time where he had to go to Mexico and make a speech. And of course, Reagan couldn't speak Spanish. And Reagan gives this speech, and he had worked on it. And of course, he was a brilliant orator, and he gives this speech. And um, he noticed that it was just while he was giving his speech, you know, he'd give the, the, the pauses, you know, where people are just supposed to applaud. And, that, and then it's just getting a little, you know, it's just sad. And he's just like, oh, my goodness, I've just, I've just really blown this. And he, he finishes his speech, and he, and he sits down, and he just feels like he's just such a, just really blown it, just so missed the mark with his speech somehow. And then this other guy gets up behind him. And begins to speak in Spanish. And man, then this guy's just getting all these ovations. And people are just clapping and, and just shouting him down. And, and it's just, and he, so he begins to, to notice this, that, you know, these people. So he decides he's going to kind of redeem himself. And, and people may, maybe didn't like when he was speaking, but everybody loves this. And he's just going to really be supportive. And he don't understand a lick of what's being said. And uh, so, but he's going to just begin to, to, to clap first and clap the longest. And so he begins to do that. He begins to just clap. And, then, uh, and so pretty soon, one of his aides comes over and tells him, Look, sir, you, you don't need to be doing that. You, you, that's just not wise. Uh, and Reagan's like, Why? He's like, Because he's translating your speech. And they didn't do it real time. They did it delayed. And so here he is thinking nobody loves it. And then jumps on and he's the loudest cheerer for his own words. For his own speech. And he simply, because of these pressures and his awkwards, he jumped on the bandwagon. We have to make sure that we avoid the bandwagon. The Bible tells us not to get tossed by every little wind of doctrine. Every little new Christian fatty thing that comes through. We find out what God has created us for and we stay true to it. We keep moving forward in that. Galatians 2.13 says, And the other Jews joined him in, this is Peter again, joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, his top bud, was led astray. We have to live for God or we're going to end up, man, being distracted and pulled away. The last one we need to make sure that we avoid is spiritual pride. Because, man, I'll tell you what, we start feeling a little better than ourselves than we should. We start feeling pretty secure and, and knowing who we are in Christ and all this. Then we're going to get ourselves taken out. There was um, a general, a union general, in uh, the Civil War. And uh, he was, uh, name was John Sedgwick. And they were there at this, uh, this one fort. And he is, uh, he's sitting there. And as he's going and walking along the wall... There's the, the wall and the little, you know, the little parapet things that stick up. And all his men are telling him, he said, look, um, you know, why are you not ducking? Why are you not getting out of the way? And literally, the history books say that John Sedgwick was sitting there, standing there, and says, oh, there's no reason. They couldn't hit an elephant from this dis... 
and was shot and killed as he spoke. I'm telling you, and we get into this little place of spiritual pride. We get into this little place of where we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves. We talked about that being bad last week. We begin to feel pretty good. We set ourselves up as a target. And I tell you what, one of the things we can do is people begin to kind of give you all the encouragement and the strokes and say, oh, you're all this and you're all that and you're wonderful and you're, you're it. You, you're just the best Christian I've ever met. I tell you what, that can derail you, derail you if you begin to own it just as much as somebody tearing you down and saying, man, you're not the Christian you ought to be. Pastor John Haller, who will be here in a few weeks, I, we, when I was coming up in ministry, he, he, we talked seriously about this. And he said, you know, people will come up to him after the service and shake his hands and tell him, you know, what a, what a wonderful message. Oh, you're just so awesome. And he says, you know, because they're sincere and that's, that's all they know to do. They've been impacted. You know, he said, you don't tell them, oh, no, 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 no. You know, do all this. He said, you just tell them thank you. He said, and then you turn around and you give it all to God. And say, God, that was all you. That was not me. You don't internalize it. You don't own it. You don't take it. He said, and that will keep you in the right place. He said, but you begin to take it in. And you begin to take credit for what God is doing through you. And you're going to get out of whack. We have to avoid spiritual pride. Galatians 2 <clears throat> says, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? They're getting de de derailing people. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 7.8 says, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. We have to be patient in this place. Sometimes people don't understand that maybe you're really growing, and you begin to want to kind of toot your own horn. I tell you what, just be patient. If you're, there's really some growth there, in the long run, it's going to be evident. Just let God do the promoting. Don't self-promote. We're going to avoid spiritual pride that way. Now that we know what to avoid, here's what we do. We simply live by faith. Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is... <clears throat> I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained by observing a set of rules, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained by making everybody in my life happy, Christ died for nothing. This is about grace. We have to stick with grace. We have to stay with that and live to please one and only one. See, don't let the idea of trying to earn people's approval distract you from the freedom that you have in Jesus. Instead, live a life of faith in the one who loves you and gave himself up for you. This morning, we want to make sure everybody is at that starting gate. Like I talked about last week, it is so beautiful that in Christ, we don't, we're not about our, our final end isn't pleasing God and forgiveness. We start there. That's where we start. That is so incredible. And then we get shaped. This whole Christian life is about being shaped into his image. Not about trying to please him to earn, his, earn forgiveness. 